Good morning, Dawson. As we continue to worship our Lord, our God, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 6 as we continue journeying through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. And as you find your place there in Mark's Gospel, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Grant us your grace this morning to receive your truth by faith. Grant us your strength to follow on the path that you would set before us. We pray all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus. Amen. You're looking in Mark chapter 6, you're looking at the miracle, probably one of the more famous miracles in all of the Gospels is what is traditionally called the feeding of the 5,000. It is unique because outside of the resurrection of Jesus, it's the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospel accounts. We have it here in Mark chapter 6, and then you find it in uh, Matthew 14, and Luke chapter 9, and even in John chapter 6. Uh, the meaning of it is pretty evident here. You have Jesus who is in front of an impossible situation, this hunger crowd, 5,000 is what we traditionally know. But we note in this gospel account and all the gospel accounts, the 5,000 just refers to the men. So if you just conservatively put women and children, you've got 8,000, 9,000 in the crowd here. So it is an impossible situation, this hungry crowd, and you have Jesus embracing it with this improbable solution. Five loaves, two fish that he miraculously multiplies to feed the masses. Every time I preach from this account, every time I read it in my own personal Bible reading, I, I can't help but to remember this story of a a young pastor. It was his first church. It was his first Sunday. He stands up and he, make, he wants to make a good first impression. So he stands up before the congregation. He says, today I'm going to preach on the miracle of our Savior who fed five people with 5,000 loaves and 2,000 fish. Well, the congregation immediately uh, realized that he misspoke and there was just good natured laughter uh, throughout uh, the entire church there. Now, on the second row, though, on, on the second row, that pew, there was just this big, burly guy who just could not stop laughing. It just really tickled him in, in every way. And so he got a kick out of it, couldn't stop laughing throughout the entire sermon. Uh, the preacher would look down, and there he was. He was still laughing. Well, the preacher went on with the rest of the sermon, went on the next week, and it just you know, just stayed with him. He just could not shake it off. He uh, was just thinking about this man on the second row, just laughing through the sermon. And so the second Sunday comes around and the preacher wants to sort of redeem himself. So he stands up before the congregation and he says, you remember last week I was preaching and we looked at our Savior who fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and then he said, well, none of us, obviously, none of us could do what our Savior did. And to that, the big burly man on the second row called out, interrupting the preacher, and he said, preacher, 
I could have done that if I had what was left over from last week. It's a powerful story. That's a good preacher joke right there. Don't, don't you agree? I don't tell a lot of preacher jokes, but that's a good preacher joke right there. So no matter how you've heard this story before from a pulpit or a Sunday school teacher, if you've read it here, uh, this is a miracle that stays with us. It's a miracle that teaches us that wonderful lesson that God is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiency. God is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiency. Look in your copy of God's Word. This miracle comes right after Herod's banquet. You remember Herod's banquet that ends with the brutal beheading of John the Baptist. I think Mark really positions it in that way to contrast the earthly king, King Herod, and his invitation-only banquet that he holds that ends in death to the eternal King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, who embraces all, embraces the crowd, and everyone who eats upon the rolling hills of Galilee that day would leave field. And so it is this portrait of contrast between an earthly king and an eternal king. It's also, as you look through just the context of this passage here, it comes... In a unique time in the ministry of Jesus, he is grieving, obviously, the death of John the Baptist. But then you also have the disciples who are exhausted. They've come back after Jesus has sent them off. At the beginning of Mark chapter 6, he sent them off. uh, And they've come back two by two as they went off and they preached and they healed after their first ministry assignment. And so the first thing that you read in verses 31 through 32 is just Jesus saying to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So to get the picture here, you have the disciples, you have Jesus, who are emotionally, physically, spiritually drained. They're wrestling with grief at the death of John the Baptist. And so they want to deliberately get away to eat. They want to deliberately get away to rest. And you have these massive crowds who, if you can just imagine the scene of these young fans who are just this mob trying to follow their favorite band to catch them as they're coming in or out of uh, the venue that they're going to play that night. You you have this mob-like mentality of the crowds who are tracking the movements of the disciples, tracking the movement of Jesus to get close to them. So they anticipate where Jesus and the disciples are going to land to get away. And so as the disciples, along with Jesus, land their boat, so there is this massive crowd that is waiting for them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those first disciples, it seems that I would have been tempted to say, Jesus, hey, let's try to lose this crowd All we need is just one hour to eat, one hour to take off our sandals, one hour to prop up our feet here. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Uh, He doesn't doesn't push away from the crowd to see them as an interruption or inconvenience. No, in uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, we read, When he, that being Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Notice what Mark tells us, that Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion on the crowd. That word compassion uh, that is translated into the English compassion in in our 
uh, English Bibles here, that word in the original language of the New Testament is only used to describe Jesus and the deep, abiding, caring love that Jesus has. To see this crowd not as an inconvenience, not as an interruption, but to see the deeper need that they have, which was what? They were sheep without a shepherd. They were sheep without direction and without purpose. So what does he give them? What does he give that crowd? Don't miss this. He teaches them. The greatest need that this crowd had wasn't physical nourishment that day, but rather they needed bread, but they needed a deeper spiritual type of bread. The most important bread that Jesus fed them that day was himself as the bread of life, the word of God being given to them through the word incarnate here. I think it's an aside here. We, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but I do think there is a template here of word and deed ministry that we in, in our individual lives, but also in the church, need to always keep in balance. Healthy ministry, healthy ministry never divorces the teaching of God's word from the meeting of physical needs. There can always be this temptation to exalt one above the other, to exalt one and to diminish the role of the other, to, to just talk about teaching God's word and to diminish the meeting of physical needs, or just to meet physical needs and, and to water down the message of the gospel, or just to ignore the teaching of God's word. But word and deed ministries, God has joined them together, so let no man nor woman, no church nor organization separate them. They, they are joined together in Jesus's ministry. So he taught this crowd and he taught them so long that a problem arose and that problem was they were in the middle of nowhere and it was getting late. The disciples realized this. They approached Jesus with a reasonable solution. Hey, Jesus, let's dismiss the crowd here so that they can go to a nearby village and find food for themselves. He, he wants to, the disciples want to give personal responsibilities to each of these individuals who are hungry, each of these families that are hungry. Just let them fend for themselves. But notice Jesus in verses 37 through 38. Notice his response. But he, Jesus, answered them, you give them something to eat. Notice the emphatic nature of that. You, you disciples give them something to eat. And they said to him, and the disciples responded, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he, Jesus, said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Now, the disciples immediately realized that their resources are absolutely insufficient for the vast needs of this crowd. They don't have... 200 denarii worth of bread. If you're just trying to equate that, that would be an average laborer's uh, wages for an entire year. And so this is, this is the improbable, uh, frankly impossible problem that is facing uh, the disciples. But again, remember the point of this miracle, that Jesus is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiencies. Now, John's gospel Again, I told you, all four of the Gospels give us this account. So there are different emphases in each of them. There are different details that are told. In John's Gospel, we know that these five loaves and these two fish are collected by the disciple Andrew, but ultimately they come from the sack lunch of sorts of this young boy who brings about his measly meal that is going to be multiplied to feed the masses. 
So Jesus, he commands all of these thousands of people to sit down into groups and sit where? Did you notice this little detail in verse 39? He tells them to sit down on the green grass. All we know about this place before verse 39 is it is a desolate place. It is a place of wilderness. And all of a sudden Jesus says, here's that spot of green grass over there. I want everyone to go sit over there. What is Jesus doing? There's something that's rich to this miracle here that connects uh, the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it shows us just how sufficient our Savior is to meet our deepest needs. What Jesus is doing to the sheep without a shepherd is he is saying, I am the good shepherd. You remember Psalm 23 that reads that the good shepherd makes them lie down where? In green pastures. Jesus is literally embodying, he's enacting the 23rd Psalm before their very eyes. He is saying, I am the good shepherd. Follow me and you will lack absolutely nothing. He blesses the bread. He he blesses those two fish and they multiply. Now he doesn't throw out the bread like rolls at uh, the waiter at Lambert's is going to throw out uh, on, on the way to the beach there. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He distributes them in this miracle of, of, of multiplication here. He distributes them to the disciples and the disciples feed everyone. And what's left over are 12 carry out or 12 to go uh, baskets for each of the disciples here. So there's more than enough. Uh, Mark chapter 6 verses 42 through 43 reads, And they all ate. They all ate and they were all satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, five loaves, two fish with to-go baskets for each of the disciples here. Again, the point of this miracle is that our Savior is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiency. We just get a glimpse of how God works in this passage, don't we? We, we see uh, somewhat of how God takes what is small, and he multiplies it. He takes what seemingly is insufficient for the needs around, and he multiplies it to meet the needs and and more. He takes this young boy's measly meal, and it becomes a buffet for the masses. I heard someone say one time that anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. Only God can see the potential in the smallest and unlikely of sources. Only God can use us in the midst of our brokenness and in our weakness and in our own insufficiency to make a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. Only God can take what, what is laughable in the world's eyes, only God can take what is discarded at times and use it for His glory. Only God can redeem our wounds for our good and His glory. Paul would talk about this when he's writing the second time to the church at Corinth and he's reflecting upon the thorn in the flesh and he says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, my power is made perfect 
in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In our weakness and in our insufficiency, God is consistently glorified because He alone gets the credit as the one who ultimately provides. He alone can ultimately provide your salvation, not your works, not your best thoughts, but rather only God can do that. He, he can do that in our world also. We, we look around and we see, well, we see an impossible situation, don't we? We look around and we see massive needs in our country. Right now, there's unemployment numbers that are historic numbers. There's sickness that is upon many sectors of our country in, in, in horrible, in horrible ways. Families are being affected. Communities are being affected. There, there are many question marks that are before all organizations and all families right now. And if we just look around us, we just see so much need. And we might wonder to ourselves individually, in, in our own family, even in our own church, where can we start to even make a dent in this? Where can we start to even make a difference? And I'm here to remind you that God calls us to give him our five loaves and our two fish, which is absolutely insufficient, I know. But when we give to him, when we give to him our devotion, when we give to him our obedience, when we follow him, when we trust him as our Savior and our Lord, what happens is, is that he is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiencies. Maybe today you're, you're watching this and you know what it feels like to run on fumes. Maybe you feel as if your marriage is running on fumes. Maybe you feel as if you're parenting the needs of your children. You've just come to that place where you are empty. You just can't give anymore from an emotional standpoint, even from a physical and a spiritual standpoint. Maybe at work there are these just decisions that you're having to make and you don't, you're not an expert. You're not an epidemiologist. You can't predict the future, but yet you have decisions that you are having to make right now that, that have vast implications for people that you work alongside of, people that, that maybe even your company, your organization provides uh, insurance for and salaries for and well-being, and, and you feel as if you do not have the resources to be able to make the decisions that you need to make. Do you believe today as a follower of Christ? Do you believe today as a follower of Christ that God is enough for what might seem to be an impossible situation? He's enough. He's enough to heal a wounded marriage. He, he, he's enough to supply the needs of your children when you're running on empty. He, he's enough to mend the deepest wound of a relationship. He's enough to be able to provide wisdom and guidance when question marks are all that you can see before you. He is enough when you're tired. He is enough when you ache. He's enough to feed your hungry heart. He is enough. He's enough, no matter the vastness of the situation that we're in, that feels absolutely impossible. I heard the story of an eight-year-old girl who stood up in Bible drill. 
She stood up to recite the 23rd Psalm and she had all of the gusto and all of the confidence and she just emphatically said, the Lord is my shepherd. He is all I need. Well, she misquoted the verse, but in many ways she was right. The Lord is our shepherd. He is all I need. She got the verse wrong, but she was right. What, what solution can be possible in, in this broken world in which we live in? Jesus is the only solution. What solution is out there for your broken heart? Jesus is all we need. So don't lose heart today. Don't lose heart when you look around and you see the vastness of what seems to be an impossible situation within our country and within our world. Or don't, don't lose heart when the struggle seems so severe and you feel as if you're living in the midst of an impossible situation. Look to your Savior and be reminded this morning that our Savior is sufficient in the midst of your, our insufficiency. Let us pray. Gracious God, I just thank you. I thank you that your word reminds us that you are a Savior who is sufficient in the midst of our insufficiencies. And so today, we admit that we do not have the knowledge that we need to be able to make the vast decisions that need to be made in our personal life and maybe even in our professional lives. But you are sufficient. We admit, God, that, that maybe there, there are many of us that are watching this that feel worn down by the circumstances of life, worn down by the question marks of life. But we know from your word that you are sufficient in the midst of our insufficiency. So we look to you. We look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And while there is vast question marks of uncertainty all around us. Our certainty is placed in you. You are all that we need. So may this week, may we abide deeply with you and understand out of the overflow of Christ in us that we will be led, we will be filled, that you desire to walk with us. So may we not run from you to what glitters May we not run from you to the sin that so easily entangles, but may we walk with you deeply and faithfully this week as you provide all of our needs. We pray this in the name of your Son, God, and our Savior, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.